Saturday, and welcome into another edition of the Sports Geeky Podcast. My name is Alex Dreamer. It is episode number five. Thank you all for joining us here and taking us into our second month. The first month was excellent. Great listener feedback. Download numbers are good. Thank you all for your interest in the show. One of the biggest concerns you have when you start a podcast, of course, is will anybody listen? Will anybody care? And so far, the answer on both those fronts has been yes for this little show that we started just five weeks ago. So thank you all for listening and making us a part of your weekly routine. Uh, I know it's been certainly a uh, very, very uh, strange and anxiety-inducing week. Um, It's really remarkable just how quickly the conversation around all of this has changed. If you go back to as recently as this past Tuesday, these professional sports leagues were talking about just going on with business as usual. I mean, let's wind back to just three, four days ago. The NCAA was still planning to not just hold March Madness, but hold it with fans. Uh, The NBA's reported solution to the coronavirus crisis was to just schedule games in different cities that hadn't yet seen an outbreak yet. Uh, you know, Major League Baseball was going on with spring training as planned, which I thought was absolutely insane given that elderly folks are most at risk and who goes to spring training games in Arizona and Florida, two of the you know retirement hotbeds in our country, elderly folks, uh, the NHL, the Columbus Blue Jackets in the NHL, as, again, as recently as Tuesday, were planning to go forward and play games this week with fans, uh, ignoring the governor of Ohio's edict to stop large public gatherings. So, and then what happens on Wednesday? We have Rudy Gobert, center for the Jazz, test positive for the coronavirus. Literally four minutes after that uh, test gets reported, the NBA announces it is suspending its season. Uh, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson test positive for coronavirus. They're in Australia, and that was a message seemingly to the rest of the world, to the rest of the country, that, oh, this is a really serious thing. And then Thursday was just... One of the most surreal days, I think, in this country's recent history, if not entire history, and in sports recent history, too. Everything canceled from March Madness, NHL season, MLS, Major League Baseball, the Masters even on Friday announcing it's postponed, the Boston Marathon, I'm in Boston, one of our sacred uh, traditions around these parts, postponed until September. Uh, We are now taking this threat seriously, and... You just, it's its better late than never, um, but it's amazing that we seemingly just had our head in the sand with this thing up until just a few days ago. I think a large reason for that is this uh, presidential administration uh, has its own head in the sand. I mean, certainly. It's amazingly that just last Friday, so eight days ago, we had Donald Trump standing at the CDC with his goofy campaign hat talking about how his uncle was a great scientist and how this will go away when the weather gets warm. We only have 15 cases, he said, and those will go away soon. Like, what? The madness is unbelievable. And this is a time where you really see the leadership void in this country. Uh, But it seems like we're finally listening to the medical professionals. And if you just, again, just listen to the medical professionals. That's that's really what we can do in these times, and we just have to abide by what they're saying. You may think, oh, it's extreme. I don't have coronavirus. I don't have COVID-19. I'm young. I'm healthy. 
Uh, it's complete. Avoid large social gatherings. What do I know? Well, these are some of our, the top scientists, top medical professionals, not just in the country, but in the entire world. So my quick take on that is listen to them. They also tell us if we practice these measures, we will be fine. We will be fine. We will get through this together. But let's just listen to the medical professionals. And the world of professional sports was not doing that up until one of their own, Rudy Gobert, tested positive. And it seems like that was the wake-up call that all of these sports leagues needed to finally adhere to the medical advice out there. So that's my two cents on the issue that everyone's talking about, the coronavirus and the crisis that we're all going through together. Um, But I do also think in these times, while it's important to stay vigilant, while it's important to keep abreast of the news, you should still try and do other things, listen to other things, read other things, find some enjoyment in other ways. Maybe this is not the time to go out to crowded restaurants or bars, but do some one-on-one hangouts with your friends, your family. Really spend quality time with those who are most important to you. Uh, I love one-on-one hangouts, and that's what I plan on doing a lot over the next few weeks as we, again, just get through this together. Um, On the show today, we have a really great interview uh, with a golfer by the name of John Brooks. Uh, He recently came out with a first-person essay in Golf Digest that I think is just very powerful. It's about his story as an amateur golfer, a very good amateur golfer who also was gay or is gay. And just the essay is about how those two worlds were never able to coincide. The amateur golf world, the him being gay. The title for the piece is How an Amateur Golfer Enjoyed Success But Never Comfort as a Gay Man in Golf. And it goes through his whole life story, growing up playing golf, excelling in high school, going to the College of Charleston in South Carolina to play, the miserable experiences he had there. But yet how through all of it, He has not been able to peel himself away from the sport. So I think just a really fascinating story, a great and lengthy conversation. So hopefully it can serve as a bit of a distraction, get all your minds off this. And the more people I talk to with these stories, I'm just I'm just amazed and impressed with the perseverance and the resilience that all that so many people in our community have. So John Brooks on the other side, definitely. Uh, glad to have him on the show this week. It's a Sports Kiki podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening and downloading. And welcome back to the Sports Kiki podcast. On the phone line right now, we have somebody who I am very uh, interested and excited to speak with. We have John Brooks. Uh, you may have read his recent story, his recent uh, feature story, first-person feature story, I guess you would say, uh, in Golf Digest, uh, titled... How an elite amateur enjoyed success but never comfort as a gay man in golf. Uh, John, thanks for talking with us. How are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's it's nice to talk with you, and it's good to, uh, I mean, with all the coronavirus fears, it's good to talk about something a little bit different uh, just to get our minds off it for a bit if we can. Um, I have a lot of questions I want to ask you after reading the piece in Golf Digest the first question, I guess, is kind of a broad one. So the profile that you write basically chronicles your lifelong discomfort with being gay on the golf course, some of the negative experiences you've had. But I was struck by the ending where you say you're now in your early 40s, you run a gallery, but you know you're not done with the sport. Nothing can fill the void that golf has given you in your life. 
reading it and your experiences, my first question is, why do you still feel that kind of love for a sport and a culture that's been so unwelcoming to you? I think that's a great question. Um, I think I would say that my love is more for the sport than the culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you start doing something at a very young age, um, whether it's any kind of sport or any other kind of activity, it becomes so deeply ingrained in you. It becomes such a part of your identity. And I have kind of moved in and out of the game, you know, through my adult life and have at times thought, you know, I don't need golf. I can let it go. And I'll, I will fill that, um, I feel that void with something else. And I have discovered that that just isn't possible for me, that um, even if I decide to move away from the game completely, which is kind of where I am right now, um, there's still a hole. I'm okay with that. You know, it, it's, it is something I've accepted, um, but I've stopped trying to think that I can fill it with something else. How can you have so much, I understand you set, how can you have that separation though, between the actual sport of golf and your experiences playing it? I think because golf is both a communal sport, but also an individual sport. Mm -hmm. So when I'm thinking about golf, I'm not just thinking about like, you know, playing in tournaments or, you know, showing up on Saturday morning, you know, and playing in a foursome. I'm also thinking about, um, you know, all of the times that I spent as a kid um, and if, and sometimes as an adult, but mostly as a kid, like, you know, practicing putting on the putting green after, you know, until after dark or, on uh, an unseasonably warm, uh, like March day, going out and walking nine holes by myself. Um, you know, the, there there is the game as you experience it as an as as an individual, which which has to do with you know the earth, the golf course, the the like the architecture, uh, the equipment. Um, and then yourself. And then there's this whole other thing that comes along with the culture as it as it's built up through, you know, golf clubs um, and golf associations and, and all of that. Yeah, and, and I do want to talk a lot about the culture, but I first just want to rewind a little bit. So growing up, uh, your father was the head of the Parks and Recs Department in your town. You said very athletically minded uh you yourself were not a a great athlete in the typical sense but you did find golf um so just take me through that uh growing up sports household and kind of how you developed your love of golf and your passion for it yeah i mean i was um i was a shy kid i was quiet i was uh kind of bookish I was also very happy being outside, you know, just kind of playing by myself. Um, I was never 
like in a in a big pack of kids um i just didn't have that experience um and i was encouraged i was never forced but i was encouraged to play soccer and basketball and um the only thing i think i baseball i, d- I didn't play I didn't ever play football um there were elements of the respective games that i liked but the team aspect was really really hard for me mm-hmm. um you know when i was 8 or 10 years old you know i i i had no concept of sexuality um i only knew that the way that i related to the other boys was differently than how they related to each other mm-hmm. and they also sensed that not all of them of course but but many of them did and so i was um i was treated differently i was always slightly on the outside or or very much so on the outside um and i think that's so typical for for you know um lgbtq athletes um i i came to golf uh you know my, i suppose my two favorite sports were were golf and tennis even when i were was kind of doing all of them and both of those sports are kind, you know even tennis is kind of an individual sport um but i started really playing golf i guess more seriously when i was maybe like 11 um mm-hmm. i i also started working at the golf course uh when i was like 12 um but uh yeah my you know my the one thing that i was forced to do was to play in a tournament uh our junior city tournament when i was like 12 years old and i i i can very much remember not wanting to play not wanting to be uh put in a spotlight i can i can remember that feeling um but my parents did sign me up you know force force is a strong word but they signed me up and then i ended up winning my age division by i don't remember remember how many strokes but but quite a lot um and that was fun <laughs> you know yeah. um I, I i suddenly went from like being afraid to do this thing to real to realizing like oh actually i'm pretty good at this and i like doing it and other people seem to think it's cool that I'm good at it um and so I was kind of hooked um yeah it gave you a lot of confidence your 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 skill at golf it did i mean i was still very much quiet i was still shy um you know i i wasn't you know when we when we finished i would still like want to leave um and not stick around and hang out and you know joke around with other kids or whatever um but on the golf course during you know while we were playing i felt the sense of freedom i i felt i felt at home you know um and that's really a powerful feeling if you've never felt that way before you know even like in school when i was um you know like in classes that 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 i enjoyed subjects that i was good at i still did not feel 
the kind of confidence that I learned to feel on the golf course. And was that your experience through high school too? You, you had the same kind of, you were most confident on the golf course? Yeah, I mean, high school, so I went to a very small Catholic school for, for K through eight. Um, you know, it, it was, it was not a great experience for me. I remember uh, being teased a lot. I remember crying a lot at school. Um, by the time I got to high school, I was, I was pretty tall. Um, I went to a public high school, but it was also small. We had like 320 students. And in what part of the school. country? Uh, in Frankfort, Kentucky. Kentucky, right. Okay. Yeah. And um, there were some bigger schools, but I, I went to these two smaller schools. Um, and But by the time I got to high school, I was pretty tall. Um, so not necessarily visually a kid that people would look to bully. Um, but I was still... I was still bullied verbally, um, not really physically, um, but I was also known, you know, I mean, this sounds funny, but like I was sort of known as a golf star um, by the time I got to high school. And this was uh, 1992 when I, when I started high school. So this was pre-Tiger. I mean, Tiger was around, but the Tiger wasn't the Tiger Woods that that, right. that we came to know. And so golf was still not cool. <laughs> um, but I was, you know, I was in the paper a lot and the newspaper and, and, and people knew that I had this set of skills. And so even though golf wasn't cool, it kind of gave me a certain level of respect um, that, that I don't think I would have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. And then, when, 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 was there a high school? Was there a high school golf team? Did you play club? How did you? How did you play? Yeah, there school? was a high school golf team. High school golf team that I started playing on when I was in the sixth grade, <laughs> which oh, wow. uh, probably probably would not be allowed now. I don't know how the rules go, but um, yeah. So I, I started playing on the sixth grade, and um, and then you know played all through high school. Um, yeah. And, and, again, and like golf, uh, one thing that was, I did really enjoy in your golf digest piece is you, um, uh, one of the kids who said mercilessly bullied you in high school kept asking if, you know, you were, you know, are you gay? Are you gay? And you finally just said, yeah, why are you interested? <laughs> take, take, take me yeah. through that. And was that, was that your coming out moment, if you will, or was it still like, how, how did that whole process go? Um, I had already come out to a couple of friends by that time, but it wasn't something that I was comfortable with everyone knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I don't know what compelled me to do that that day. <laughs> um, I was just really, really tired of this guy bothering me. And, and I wasn't interested in him, um, but I, I just suspected that that might fix the problem, and, and it did. Um, I had a I had a good support system with of friends um in high school um and and even a few teachers um who you know I we we didn't talk about it explicitly um but there were some teachers who were perceptive and and 
you know, made sure to look out for me in a way. And also my, my high school golf coach was, was a very, uh, very kind man and, um, you know, all, always supportive. Yeah. And, I mean, and this is still, you know, the early 1990s. So just about 30 years ago in the South. I mean, I imagine that that was kind of rare, I think, even back then for you to have that kind of support system as limited as it may have been. At least it seems like you had some sort of system and people in place. Yeah, there were, uh, there were, by the time I got to high school, it was clear to me that there were avenues that I could pursue and people I could seek out, you know, if, if I needed help. Um, I, I, I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really do that. I wasn't comfortable doing that sure. at that time really, but, but, but I felt that they were there. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened in college? You go to the College of Charleston to play golf. It absolutely is a miserable experience. What happened? Yeah, you know, in retrospect, I think it was probably the wrong place for me to go. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go to school there because I liked the city. Um, it was a great school. I liked the weather. Um, you know, the golf courses were probably not bettered by any school in the country. Um, and I wasn't heavily recruited by, by Charleston, and um, I probably would have been better off to go somewhere else, but I didn't. And my scholastic experience at the college was perfectly fine. Um, but, you know, golf golf has a very conservative culture, and and still, and it was much more conservative in 1996 when I started college and even more conservative still in South Carolina. Um, and, you know, it just, there were personalities that didn't pair well. Um, and then I was not necessarily out at the time, um, but people are perceptive. And, and if you're not, you know, if you're not, going out with the guys and the rest of the team and doing what they're doing, then that's noticeable. Mm -hmm. um, and I think very early on I was singled out or, you know, kind of had a target on my back as someone who did not fit in, in, in a variety of ways, you know, politically, uh, sexuality, um, even just personality wise, you know. What do you mean singled out? I mean, I was never really made to feel welcome. How? You know, um, I was, I just, I just felt like I, you, you can tell if people are happy to have you in their space. Mm -hmm. You know, I was taking up a space on the team. There were, I don't remember how many spaces there were. Maybe, you know, there's like 12 players on the team. And those are 12 um, precious spots in a way. And I just, you know, I was, it was pretty clear to me that the golf coach and the assistant coach would have preferred that I was not there. Um, I had a few friends on the team. Um, I also had a couple of 
people that were on the team who took every opportunity they could to, you know, uh, push me or uh, kind of test me. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. No, I get it. But uh, so, but if you said the coach, the coach and assistant coach weren't all that welcoming, I imagine you must have communicated with them prior to going to school and playing on the team. So did you get that sense before you went there? Or was that a surprise to you, the environment? I think I, it was a surprise. I, I don't think, I think I was blinded to it in a way just, um, because I really wanted to go there and I felt like, you know, once, once they got to know me and see that I was, you know, a good student and good golfer and, you know, polite and, uh, not going to cause problems that, you know, I would just go about my way as I'd always, as I, as I had always done. Um, but um, it wasn't the case. And I played horribly. I mean, I, I just played really, really poorly. Um, so I didn't help myself in that, in that respect. Um, how, did, how did it end, your, your golfing career in college? Um, it did not end very well. Yeah. Um, um, the last, so my sophomore year, the end of the semester, um, I had finished my exams and went to the golf coach's office to, you know, say, kind of say goodbye for the summer and to, to give him my um, schedule, my, my tournament schedule for the summer to show that I was, right, you know, keeping up keeping with up, it. Keeping up, keeping up my game. And uh, he told me that I was off the team, which was a total shock to me. Um, he had actually phoned my parents um, a, a few weeks earlier and told them and they decided not to tell me because they wanted me to be able to get through my exams without having to worry about it. Um, so I, my dad was actually in town in, in Charleston. He, he had driven down to make sure that he was there when I found out. Um, which was you know, very kind. Uh, it was it was a surprise to me, and uh, you know I I I cried um, and just kind of left stunned. Um, and it it really messed up my whole plans for for the rest of school. Um, I ended up that summer looking at other programs. Um, I nearly went to Loyola in Chicago to play, um, <clears throat> but the golf coach, who was an English professor, and, and we kind of really hit it off on the phone, my parents and I drove to Chicago to meet with him, and, and in a span of like 36 hours, he had quit, quit his job as the golf coach because of a family reason, and so I, I got there expecting to meet this guy, and then they said, well, he quit. Um, so I ended up going to the University of Kentucky uh, kind of at, at the last minute in the fall of 98. 
And um, I really hated it. <laughs> you know, I had been to a small, small high school, and then the college, college of Charleston is like 10,000 students. So my biggest class was a science class with maybe 35 or 40 students. And then I got to University of Kentucky, and I had a science class with 300 people. And um, it just wasn't for me. And so I ended up going back to Charleston and finishing out. And but, and, and at that point, A, where is your mind? Where are you personally? And B, did you ever think you would play golf again? Golf was very sour to me at that time. Um, I, in a way... In a way, I, it was it was good that it happened. Um, I think my the last two years of school were much more enjoyable for me as, as a human being, mm-hmm. um, and my academics, which were always pretty good, I think were better. Um, it's really hard to be a college athlete and and to be a good student. Um, the, the demands are are so high, um, so. And I got to have other experiences, um, you know, working and doing other things that I wouldn't have had been able to do had I stayed on the golf team. Um, I really wasn't sure what what my future was with the game. Um, but by the next summer, I started playing again. And um, I, I had kind of fallen back in love with the game. And then had had some you know success with um, tournaments and, and other things, and then by the time I graduated in at the end of 2000, I decided to move to Florida, and uh, I decided I wanted to be a professional golfer, and so I, I moved to Florida to pursue that, um, and took a job at a private golf club. Um, working in the pro shop, still maintaining my amateur status, but, but kind of on that path. Um, but again, found that the culture was just so constricting um, that I just, I just didn't fit in. And, and I was spending so much time you know, just like, God, I hope nobody asks me any questions about me, you know, um, which is just not a healthy place to live in. Um, and, and I don't think that's the case at all now. I think, I think just generally culture, American culture has moved along so far, um, but it was the case for me. Um, so that didn't, that didn't last very long, that, that, um, period of my life, and then I moved back to Kentucky, and then in the early 2000s, really recommitted myself to the game. I was working full time, a job that I could work overtime to kind of build up time so that I could take off to play golf tournaments, and mm. um, I also I had become overweight in college because of depression and, and, you know, not eating well. And and so there was this like year period, the end of 2002 to the beginning, no, sorry, the end of 2001, like early 2002, early summer, where I 
I just felt like I have got to get myself back on track just in in every category. And so I um I got in shape, I started eating well, um I ended up meeting a person the person who became my partner at that time. All these things happened in about a year and amazingly I started playing the best golf of my life. Mm-hmm. Um and so I played I ended up playing in um through 2003, 2003, 2004, 2005, I played in three USGA national championships, um, two two mid amateurs and a US public links, and also uh, the Lynx Trophy, which is, is a big amateur tournament at St. Andrews. Um, and there was a period where I, it was easy. It felt easy to me. Um, and I'd never felt that before. Yeah, it is amazing how when you're happy personally, I think professionally, you really can soar. At least that is how I have always lived. Um, but one thing that I also wanted to ask is, so at this point in time, um, you're playing really well, you're, but still you talk about in the piece how you know you play at local courses and just how conservative the culture still was. You said you'd have a lot of friends on the golf course who – you know, you were friends with on the course, but also belonged to churches in the Louisville area that promoted conversion therapy. And you'd always take a deep breath at the end of rounds, like, ah, oh, it didn't come up. Just like at this stage in my life, I'm in my late 20s, I totally only surround myself with either gay men, you know, members of the community, or, you know, allies, really. How, how, how are you able to still at that point in your life, you have a partner, you've been out now for some time, but how are you still able to to separate those two things, it, how did it not just eat at you, or, or did it, and you just and you just did it? Well, it totally it totally ate at me, and and um, I it was my love of playing the game. I guess that's maybe the better way to describe it. You know, my love of playing the game that kept me involved in it, um, even though. It was so emotionally taxing for me. Um, I have a number of friends who are golfers who are wonderful, wonderful people of, of all kinds of, you know, coming from all kinds of different places. Um, but the game itself, the culture is just, it's so conservative. It has it has changed. It's, it's getting better. But, um, you know, even as, as, Recently, as like two two years ago, um, I was and I was totally out and and I, you know I would I would I would never have denied anything or or hidden anything, um, but I still this thing in me still deeply was there that I felt like I just hope nobody just don't talk to me like just don't ask me any questions and i don't feel that way anywhere else in my life i don't i don't feel um encumbered by that anywhere else and so the 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 dichotomy between what was my normal life where i'm completely comfortable and yes absolutely um proactively surround myself with allies and gay men and lesbians and people who I know are 
supportive of me as a whole person. You know, there was that part, which is yeah. 95% of my life. And then there was this other 5% where, um, you know, even if people are nice to you on the golf course, you know, they're, they're still going to churches that are, that are preaching a certain thing. They're still supporting candidates for office who are anti-LGBTQ um, or, or companies. They work for companies that are, are you know, not allies. Um, and I just finally got to a point. I had also had some injuries, I'll, I will say, that, that I, I had a couple of injuries, um, n- you know, nagging injuries that kept getting worse that also were not really making playing much fun. But, but you know, I got to a point where I just felt like, I just don't want to do this anymore. I just, I'm tired of spending my time doing this. And, you know, I don't, I really do not want to demonize or lay blame. At, you know, it's not a specific person or a specific specific group of people. It's just, you know, as as a gay man, I know where I feel comfortable and welcome and where I don't. And and there are varying degrees of that, of course, but I'm at a point in my life where I don't want to be made to feel less than ever. And so I, I just kind of walked away. Wow. And I guess the last big question I have is, is it, do you think it's possible like today to be an openly LGBTQ person and feel comfortable on the golf course? Or do you think, because it, it doesn't seem like you were ever able to do that. I do think it's possible. I think, um, you know, in general, the, the games culture is conservative, but it has moved a lot in the last few years. You know, golf, there, there are so many, um, at least professionally, there are so many young players. Um, and I think generally speaking, you know, younger people don't have the same, same hangups about all of this that, that older people do. Um, I also think it matters where you live. I think, um, you know, I, Louisville is is a progressive city. Yeah. Uh, we are a blue a blue dot in a red state, um, but we're still, you know, we're still a blue little blue dot um, in a place like you know the greater New York metropolitan area or in California where generally the culture is more liberal, you know, I think that filters into, um, that that filters everywhere. And so golf can't help but be affected by that. Um, And in Kentucky, it's just, it's just, um, it's just a conservative culture. It's, it's, um, I, I know, a handful of other gay golfers, um, not very many here. Um, they do exist. Um, and, you know, I, I, it's getting better. It's getting better, which is good. Yeah. Just uh, 
just unbelievable. But still, through all of this, you still have an inkling to go back and play. I mean, I'm playing, I think I played five times last year. Um, I played a couple of times with my dad. And then um, I will. I have not played yet this year. Um, I, I have some friends who live in Florida uh, who belong to some very nice clubs. And I, it's hard to hard to resist that oh of course yeah (laughs) um so i you know i i don't think it will ever be uh as big a part of my life as it it was i I i know it won't um but i also still enjoy reading it occasionally watching it um and i i just if it doesn't, if I don't come back to it, I'm okay with that. I, I, I don't think I need it. I think that's the difference than how compared to how it used to be. I don't need it. But but there is something that, you know, when you've been really good at something, it's that feeling is very specific and it can't be replicated somewhere else. The feeling of purely striking, you know, an iron shot or making a long putt, like it's indescribable and it's very specific. And even though I now have, you know, a a robust and um, fulfilling career as an artist and a gallerist, that's very specific to that. You know, one doesn't replace the other. Right. Uh, the story is out, how an elite amateur enjoyed success but never comfort as a gay man in golf. Uh, John, thanks for taking some time and chatting. Really, 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 really interesting. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you all for tuning in to another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. And a big thanks go out to our guest for the week, golfer John Brooks, uh, an illuminating conversation. And again, you know, my own coming out story uh, – a bit less complicated than uh, his or Casey Edenfield, who we had on the show a couple weeks ago, and folks we profile all the time on OutSports. Um, and when you don't go through that yourself, it can be a little easy to kind of forget or brush aside the real struggles that other members of our community go through in a variety of ways. And that's why I think it's so important to read the stories, talk to people like John. So I really thank John Brooks for sharing his story. Hopefully you enjoyed the conversation as much as I enjoyed uh, participating in it. As always, please uh, download to the show, subscribe to the show, hit me up on Twitter. My Twitter name is at AlexReamer1. Again, it's at AlexReamer1. If you have any guest ideas, love to hear them. Uh, Stay safe. Just as importantly, stay calm. We will get through this together, and we'll talk to you next Saturday.